My name's George. I'm going to be co-hosting this seminar stream with Simon. Um, and we, our dream for you during the week, because of course you're going to come back every single day. Our dream for you during the week is that you learn more about what worship is and that you really want to do it more, that we can inspire you to worship. So we're going to sing a lot in these sessions. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about singing and the rest of our lives as worship. Um, and to start us off, we're going to hear from uh, a New Day hero and one of my personal heroes, Simon Brading. This man, if you've been at New Day at all, you'll know him. He's very impressive from far away. And I can tell you from close up, he's also very impressive. Integrity and faith run straight through him. And I can say that I find it difficult to find someone who's had more of an impact on my life other than Jesus, obviously. Here he comes right now. We're going to hear from him. Can we have a hand for Simon Brading? Quickly stand to your feet. Take 30 seconds. Tell the person next to you why you have chosen this seminar. As George said, we're going to, over these next five days, look at different aspects of worship, help us understand what worship is, uh, what it isn't, and the glorious gift of worship in the New Testament through Christ. Hands up here who's involved in leading worship in their youth group. Okay. Uh, hands up as a musician of any kind. Great. Hands up who's not involved in leading worship at all, but you love to worship Jesus. Wonderful. This seminar stream is for everyone. So it's not just focused on worship people. No, we're all worship people. We want to help anybody uh, come along and learn more about God. Each day we've given a title from a different song. So this one is In My Father's House. I'm going to talk about some of the glories of New Testament worship. Are you ready? Now we have to be intentionally louder than those guys. Do you think you can do that? Are you ready? Excellent. Uh, we're gonna let me pray actually. Father, thank you so much for your goodness towards us. Thank you for the glories of uh, Christ and what it is to worship you, Father, in Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, help me to explain the gospel and the glory of what it is to be sons and daughters of God and have a space in the Father's house. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Question in the Old Testament. What was God's name? How did he reveal himself to Israel? Shout out if you know the answer. Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew word which translated in English is Lord. In the Old Testament, if you look through your Bible and you see Lord in capitals, that in the Hebrew is Yahweh. And it's such a holy, respected name that the Jewish people couldn't even write it down. They, the only way they wrote it down is they took out the vowels. They just wrote the consonants. It's like, no, we can't write the name of God on paper. And names are important, aren't they? Names have power. Names, you say someone's name, it talks about not just them, it's them as a person. You say someone's full name, that whole person comes to mind, their character, who they are. And God had this name, Yahweh, that whenever he brought his covenant promises to Israel, he would stamp them with, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. And I will do this for you, Abraham. And I'll do this. I am the Lord. And I will do this. And I promise this. And your descendants will be like this. I am the Lord. And this is name. It's like, don't argue with me. I am Yahweh. And God revealed himself as the Lord, as this almost slightly mysterious name. This, this one who was other. This one who was higher. He was holy. Not just that, but there are other places where he's like, come to the foot of the mountain, but don't go any closer than the bottom. Only Moses, you can come up the mountain. If anybody else does, you will die. 
Moses come up, even if like a goat or an animal sets foot on the bottom of this mountain and crosses it, they will die. So it's not just this, this mysterious name. There's something about the, the holiness of God. He's so separate. He's other than us, not to be messed with. Other places in the Old Testament, you get to Isaiah 6. This great vision from Isaiah. I saw the Lord seated high above, like lifted up high. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the, and the cherubim were shouting, holy, holy, holy. And you see this through scripture. This, the, in the Old Testament, the way God's revealed himself, such a holy God, so other um, so not to be messed with, and the name he had was Yahweh. Now, if you look through the Old Testament, of course, you can also see God's heart to want to be with his people, to be close, to want to have a relationship, and you still see, you do see something of his mercy, something of his kindness and grace, but his name was Yahweh. Now, you flick through to the New Testament. There's been 400 years of silence, but the Jews and the Pharisees are still very much trying to live like the law or do the right thing. Jesus turns up on the scene, and he's doing these miracles, and he's ruffling a few feathers, and people are like, what are you doing? And he's not following some of the laws, it looks like. Then he says, listen, lads, this is how you are to pray. Don't be like the Pharisees who just shout loud on the street corners. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Jesus introduced this concept that God could be a father. And you've got to understand how utterly alien and completely different to their paradigm that was for somebody to turn up and say, this is how you should pray. Don't address God as Yahweh. Address him as father. And you can see the disciples are like, what? They didn't quite get it. They didn't understand. And the way Jesus would talk, you read about it all the way through Matthew. He keeps talking about our father, your father, your father, your father. And all the way through the book of John, it's like, my father, my father, my father. This this theme of fatherhood and God not just being Yahweh, but father. Jesus has come to reveal something different about God, his fatherhood. Um, And it's important to understand this, I know we know this, that the heart of the gospel isn't just forgiveness for our sins, hallelujah, or isn't just healing in our hearts, like hallelujah, that is good. Um, isn't just freedom from sin. Yes, that's also God. Good. The heart of the gospel is actually adoption. These other things aren't ultimate, they're penultimate. God had to forgive us, had to do these things. But what he's really done at the cross is go down into the orphanage of humanity, choose you by name, and call you into not just a group, not just a club, or a church of good people. No, he's called you into a family, his family. He's adopted you. So Jesus says uh, in, in John 14, I will no longer leave you as orphans, but I will come to you with my spirit. So it's interesting, he doesn't say, like, I won't leave you alone, or I won't leave you afraid, or I won't leave you um, trying hard. No, he uses the phrase, I won't leave you as orphans. What's an orphan, remember? An orphan is somebody who doesn't have parents. That's what Jesus says of us spiritually. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And Jesus, who is he? He is the Father's Son. And when he adopts you and you're taken into his family, Jesus becomes your brother. And he shares his relationship with the Father with you. All that Jesus has with this Father, this, this is how you should pray. Our Father. The disciples like to say, what? 
all that he has, the Father, this all the way through Matthew and John and the different Gospels, my Father, my Father, my Father, this, this, this whole different take on God, Jesus has come to share with us. So this is some of the glories of New Testament worship. We don't approach God as mere servants or friends or just creation. We actually draw near to one now who's our father, who's our dad. There's something altogether more personable. Where in the Old Testament it felt like they worshipped very much at a distance. Actually the, the invitation in the New Testament is to come close. Come and worship the Father. Are you guys tracking with me? Does it make sense so far? Uh, here's the thing. When it comes to worshipping God, so often we worship him as if he isn't our Father. Or as, as if that relationship Jesus has, well that's good for you, that's not for me. And we can still approach God as if he's up there somewhere miles away and he's so other and so distant and so holy and I'm so filthy and I'm so unclean and I need to stay at the foot of this mountain. You know, sometimes if it's a good day, I'll come up that mountain and give it my best shot. Other days I need to stay back because I don't know if I can draw near to him because I feel so dirty. Anybody connect with this? What's the problem here? We've misunderstood what the Father's like and we've misunderstood what Jesus has done. So I'm going to take a few minutes to talk about the work of Christ and foundational in terms of us coming to the Father. Then secondly, the heart of God the Father. So firstly, let's look at the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus. Jesus says in John fourteen eighteen, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. I will not leave you alone. At the cross, it was like God the Father marched down to the orphanage and said, I'll take all of them. I'll take these. God is our Father. Jesus has paid for your redemption means any grounds the enemy had on your life because of the sin and decisions we've made, Jesus has paid all of that, and he's chosen to make you a son. And where are you seated now? You're actually seated, it says in Ephesians, in Christ. It's a bit complicated to understand, but imagine like Jesus was really, 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 really big, and all of us are inside of him, a bit like this room. It's like we... God has placed us inside of Christ. We are firmly and solidly his. And in in what Christ has done, the work of Jesus on the cross is irreversible, irreplaceable. It's not like it's going to just change one day. You're a son. You belong to God and you belong um, because Christ has done it. Do you work yourself into sonship? Does one just choose one day, I'm going to be a son of God and just make themselves one? Answer? No. The Father has chosen you. Jesus has paid for it. He's chosen you and he has made you his son. Jesus has done it. Um, A guy called Jim Packer, who wrote the book Knowing God and some other books, he says this, God is his father is a climax to the Bible. As a great way to even define a Christian, somebody who has God as their father. Amongst other things, you could define yourself, a Christian is someone who has God as their father. Uh, Lloyd-Jones says, if you could sum up the Bible in one word, it would be father. Interesting, the whole story of redemption initiated by God the Father. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So Jesus makes us sons. What is this coming to you? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus makes us sons, the Holy Spirit makes you feel like a son. It says in Romans 8, 15, 16, 
You did not receive a spirit that makes you slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies of our spirit. We are God's children. So Jesus makes us sons, but there's a role of the Holy Spirit coming into our hearts to make us feel like we're sons. Being baptized in his spirit helps us connect and click and know the love of the Father intimately. So a quick question here in terms of the work of Jesus. Um, in terms of the Old Testament and New Testament, has God changed? What's the deal here? All this stuff on a mountain, has God changed? Now to the New Testament, what's the deal? No, God hasn't changed. He stayed the same. Your position to him has changed. You are out and now you're a son. So just quickly, uh, some things here in terms of what Jesus has done. Uh, actually, one of them Lou preached on last week, so I'm not going to, last night. So it was acceptance, approval, and access. Access I won't talk about too much because Lou talked about that last night. Acceptance. Number one, we, in terms of the work of Christ, we have acceptance from God. We have become his righteousness. We are fully clean. There is no fear of punishment. There's no fear of being turned away. Do you ever feel like when you come to God that he's going to push you away? But be honest. Do you ever feel when you come to God he's going to be like, "Mm, get away from me? I'll, I'll tell you something. I sometimes do. Why is that? It's because the enemy is very active. He does whatever he can to rob worship from Jesus, to claw back, to try and speak lies into us. As we come to worship God, the enemy has been lying to us. It says in the Bible, he's the deceiver of the brothers and sisters, and he lies to us day and night. He will do what he can to undermine your feeling of acceptance. If you've sinned, boy, will he remind you of it. How often when you come to worship in these environments, are you suddenly reminded of all the dirty things about you, all the things that you shouldn't be like proud of, or am I just on my own here? So often you come to worship and you just some of the lies in our heads is just like you've not been good enough, or if any of these people know what you're really like, or you're really not cutting it as a Christian, or you didn't read your Bible. All of these things is that coming from the Father? No, that's the enemy stopping us. What's the Father like? He accepts us in Christ. We get to come as we are, even of our sense of failure and our sense of not doing as well as we could. Is our acceptance based on our works and our behavior? No. Is our sonship on our behavior? No. It's on Christ. We can come to the Father and know that he accepts us as we are. So, a couple of lies here. Lie number one, I have to clean myself up before I come to God. Is that true? I have to clean myself up before I come to God. Why isn't that true? Here's why. Firstly, even the clean you, whatever that looks like, cleaning yourself up, even the clean you, that's still dirty. The thoughts in your heart, the things that you've thought in your mind, your attitudes, your inner beings, your motives, you're never going to get that 100% clean. Even like 98%, that's still not good enough. That doesn't give you access and acceptance from God. The clean you uh, is still dirty. God accepts us as we are in Christ. And you know when Jesus says, listen lads, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, Father, your kingdom come. 
Later on down the prayer, line number five or six, there it says, forgive us. Forgive us our debts. But so often the enemy likes to make it the other way around. We need to start with, oh, Father, forgive me. I'm a terrible person. I really shouldn't be here. I shouldn't come and worship you. I can't be here. Please forgive me. I'll just clean myself up. Give me a sec. I'll just sort myself up. Oh, great. Now I can come to you. No, that's totally legalistic. That's all on you. God knows we're going to sin. He knows we're going to mess up. And what he says to us is, you can come to the Father and know you're accepted as you are. Even though you've blown it, I know that. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that. You can ask me for daily bread. You can ask me for my kingdom to come. You can enjoy my presence. We'll get to forgiveness. We don't have to start there. What Christ has done means we can come and worship the Father. Uh, Just quickly, approval and affirmation. Um, I shared this very briefly earlier. Jesus' relationship with the Father is this like pure relationship. And it's actually been going on from before the dawn of creation. Before the Big Bang or whatever you believe. Before the world came into existence. What was there? There was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And what was the Father like with the Son? Have you ever realized in that relationship in heaven, there was no sin? If I ask you, what is it that makes you sad in your life? You can trace all of it down to some kind of sin, some kind of hurt, some kind of suffering. What does it say of God in heaven? There was no sin in that place, no suffering. Instead, there was complete and pure delight. Uh, I'm going to pick on someone. What's your name? Um, If you could go anywhere on holiday, where would you go? Iceland. Iceland. What's your name again? Alex. Alex. If Alex could go anywhere on holiday, he'd go to Iceland. Why Iceland, by the way? It's quite pretty. Finds it pretty. Fair play. Life gets busy, takes on a job, busy times, responsibility. Alex gets two-week break in Iceland. Alex is in Iceland and does whatever he pleases. Whatever he wants. Do you know that's what it says in the Psalms about God? God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. No stress, no burden, no pressure, no anxiety, no worry, no fear. Just perfect relationship. So in heaven, this father, this son, this delight, Jesus has never screwed up, never done anything wrong. The father has perfect affirmation and approval and acceptance, this beautiful relationship. And creation, friends, was an overflow of that, from that perfect relationship. God made the world, and obviously the world turned their back on God, and Jesus stepped down into this humanity and into the dirt and the darkness. But still, knowing this relationship with the Father all the way through his life, talking about the Father, praying to the Father, being with the Father, and eventually getting to a place on the cross where the one time in history Jesus was separated from the Father and cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father didn't reply, but through that he's adopted us. And as he was raised to life, his spirit of life raises up to be adopted as sons too. But here's the kicker. All that Jesus has with the Father in that perfect relationship, God in heaven does whatever he pleases, he shares with us. So Jesus says crazy things like this. Hey, as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Have you thought that through? As the Father has loved me, 
day after day, pouring in affection and affirmation and love. Hey, so I've loved you. And as we come to worship God in the New Testament as people in Christ, we are not met with one who's wagging the finger, pointing the finger at all the bad things we've done, looking at all of your mess and your sin. He comes with a heart of love. He accepts you in Christ and loves you. So Jesus has done this. We don't like wiggle ourselves into the family. He's very much chosen us, adopted us, and we are accepted. We have the Father's approval. Um, he genuinely is your dad. He's a perfect dad, and he speaks words of approval over your soul. A couple of other lies that sneak in of this one. Number one, God the Father, is, is he angry with me? Yeah, I, okay, I'll get that, Si. I've got access, um, and I've got the sense of acceptance. I can be here. But what if I sin? Is he just going to get angry at me? Is he just going to be like, what are you like? Don't do this. You know, I know it says in the Psalms, it says in the Bible, sorry, um, he's slow to anger in Psalm 103, but that still means he does get angry. What if I get to the point where I, I sin so much, and I come to worship, and he's just like, Boom, and I was, okay, I'm sorry. And he just like totally lets rip, and the fuse gets lit, and he like a bomb explodes. Because I've seen he does that sometimes in the Old Testament. Is he going to be like that with me? Anybody else feel like that sometimes? You can walk around in the weight of this father is angry with me. Can you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 54? There was a day when I'd say that you'd hear the sound of pages being flicked. Now you can just like see people reaching for their phones. No, yeah, hands up if you've got a real Bible. Well done. Doesn't God love you more? No. Let's go to Isaiah 54. So we're going to start zooming in a bit more of what the heart of this father is like. Just for context, um, we're going to go to a specific verse, I'll tell you in a minute. For context, God is promising uh, to Israel about the New Testament. Here are some things I'm going to do, and boy, they're awesome, and you're going to love it. So this whole chapter is a big, big, Isaiah 53, if you know it. That's, that's a passage, a prophetic passage about the cross, about Jesus, the suffering servant. So Isaiah 54, chapter later is, because of the cross, Here's all these things it's going to be like for you. And this is my promise, my covenant. So go to verse 9. He's talking about because of the cross, the promise of the cross. This is what he says. To me, this is like the days of Noah. When I swore that the waters of Noah would never cover the earth, never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Part of the New Testament covenant and promise of God is he says to us, as people in Christ, I will not be angry with you. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, we're going to get things wrong. I was like, oh, it just doesn't matter anymore. It's fine. Just sin freely. He's not going to be angry. No, it does matter. 
This is a relationship between two people, and he cares deeply about you, but he's not that dad that's just going to fly off the handle and just point the fingers. He's not. He's made a promise. I will not be angry with you. Some of you, you approach God as if this isn't true, as if he's just basically a bit cheesed off at you, a bit annoyed at you. Friends, let me just kindly say to you, when you worship out of that place, that's not worshipping in truth. The enemy has constructed some lies around you and in your heart you believe them. We must hear the word of God today. Your heavenly father, he's not angry at Christ. He's not angry at you. Yes, he's committed to fathering you and disciplining you. That means training you to be more like Jesus. But his discipline does not come from a place of anger, but from a place of love. Does that make sense? I know this as a dad. I've got three daughters. The temptation in the place of like getting angry and you can you know, almost want to discipline at that place. That's not good. Um, you want to be measured and making sure this is coming from a heart of love. The, your heavenly father has measured his, his anger on the cross. For you, there is love. And love that cares, love that disciplines. How often when we come to God the Father, do we see him as angry? Maybe for you it might be something else. He's not just angry. Maybe he's absent. Maybe you see him as one who's just not around. Maybe that might be your experience of your earthly father. I'm just going to drop a little bomb here. Your relationship with your earthly father, your, your actual earthly dad will reflect massively how you see God the Father. If your dad was absent, you will naturally see God as absent, not one who really cares that much. If your dad never really listened to you, you won't really think God's going to listen to you that much. You'll know he probably should, but in your heart, deep down. Why is that? Because the role of a father on earth is really important. It says in Ephesians 3 that uh, every father on earth gets their name from God the Father. It's the main, number one uh, male influence in your life. There's a huge responsibility to reflect the Father. So I know I'm bringing up a lot of issues here, but some of your understanding of like, oh, God can't love me or God's you know, angry with me. Um, actually, we can sometimes look around in our lives and see, well, I think I can see where that can come from. One of the beautiful roles of the Holy Spirit is to come and bring healing to that place and help us see what the Father's really like. He's not like your dad in terms of the, the sinful things. He's perfect. He's perfect. He's not angry at you. He's not like with you one day and just off doing something else another day. Jesus doesn't say, our Father down the pub or our father in prison or our father who's there for a moment and gone our father in heaven always there pray to him he's always listening so when we come to worship why are we starting of this like in my father's house stuff jesus also says not this is how you pray our father he says in john 4 true worshipers will worship the father Interesting phrase, isn't it? You want to grow as a worshipper? Lots of hands went up earlier. Well, Jesus tipped to you. John 4 is this. True worshippers will worship the Father. Interesting, he says true. It almost like hints at there's like false worship or just worshipper. But no, you could be a true worshipper. I don't know about you. I want to be a true worshipper. Jesus says true worshippers will worship the Father. 
worship the Father. And he says to this woman at a well in John 4, you worship what you don't know, but time is coming, has now come, when true worshippers will worship the Father. We don't worship someone we don't know anymore. Those days are gone. Jesus has come to make the Father known to us. So we can come and worship someone that we, we can know. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Does that make sense? So you want to get to know what his character is like, what he's like as a person. Every page you see Christ, you see a perfect representation of what the Father's like. So my question for us at the beginning of this stream on worship, who it is you're worshipping? Are you worshipping one that you don't know? Are you living as if we're still under the Old Testament and he's up a mountain somewhere and you're at the foot of the hill and you're not sure if you can get closer to him or not and if you're good enough, maybe you can. If you're not good enough, you won't. Friends, that is not the gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus. We're worshipping in a place, not in truth, we're worshipping in lies. Jesus says true worshippers are worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We must align in our thinking and in our hearts with what's true take steps forward in that and worship the Father in that place. Uh, One more scripture for us. We're going to go to Hebrews um, 10. You know, the thing about that mountain that is awesome is it was a holy place, wasn't it? It's like, don't come up this mountain. And there's almost like, there was like thunder and lightning at the top of it. Think, wow, the fireworks of God just don't come near this is holy, and you're not. This is what Christ has done for us. We read through Hebrews 10:19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. I'll stop there. It starts off, and Neil said some of this earlier when he opened up in 15 to 19s. Uh, it says in Hebrews 4, we have confidence. Confidence. There it is again, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, New Day 2019, since we have confidence... To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And it goes on to verse 22. Let us draw near. Let's just quickly reflect on this and then I'll stop. And we can do some questions. Uh, If not, we will take some time to draw near to the Father together. Uh, When do you feel most confident in worship? When is it you're like, yeah, I'm really ready to worship. You know, you you feel those times. It's like, yes, I'm just, yeah, I'm ready to go. And I'm really going to go and worship. Our confidence, so often we can rely on how we're doing as people. Again, the enemy loves to make us be like this. If you had a good week and you're smashing it, and every day you get up and pray in tongues for four hours, and you go to school and God gives you a prophetic word for somebody in the lunch queue, and you say, look, I know this is strange, but I just feel God wants to say that this, 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 and this, and they fall on their knees in repentance, and revival breaks out in your school, then you get to like Friday and Saturday, and you stand up in the town center and preach, to the pigeons and to the people and everyone just turns in total repentance and you you get to church that Sunday and you're like looking back at the fruit of your life that week think man yeah I'm ready to worship here goes the sense of just confidence to go yes he's good and worship from that place or conversely 
Your week doesn't look like that. It looks like the opposite. You wake up, and whatever reason, you know, you want to read the Bible in the morning and get some time with God, but your alarm goes off, and you're like, oh, I'm so tired because you went out late on Sunday, and you just don't bother. And then you get through to Monday afternoon, Monday night, and your sister nicks your top, or your brother, you know, spills his drink on your PlayStation or something, and you just get annoyed, and you get angry, and you kick them because that's what brothers and sisters do. And you go to bed just annoyed, and Tuesday comes, and you, your alarm goes off, and I'll blow that. And you're just a bit raw from the situation the day before. Um, and then Tuesday night, you're tempted to sin. And in a moment of weakness, you do. You blow it, and you know you do. You wake up Wednesday morning, and the feeling of guilt racked up against you. You think, well, the last thing I'm going to do is turn to God right now. And you walk all the way through Wednesday with a sense of a cloud of guilt. You know, I can't turn to God because of my shame. And shame makes you hide. And then the idea of like going to a prayer meeting, no thanks, you're sort of hiding. You get through to Friday, Saturday. You've not spent any time with the Lord all week. Not actually in your heart, like drew near to him in worship. You're still aware of just your sin, your weakness. You're feeling insecure. And then everyone else, the banter's like, wait, wait, wait. But you know, deep down in your heart, you're feeling quite sad and just aware of your brokenness. And you get to Sunday that morning, and you see some people really going for it in worship. You're like, well, no, I've got nothing here to be confident in. Oh, you know, I'm going to sit this one out. I'll just sort of sing along, but I'm not actually going to draw near to God. No chance. Maybe that's you. What's wrong with both of these situations? In terms of where your confidence comes from, they are both wrong. You're putting confidence in your flesh. Either your flesh, you've done really good, I can come to the Father's house, or your flesh, like, oh, I'm not good enough, I can't come to the Father's house. Both are wrong. Hebrews 10:19. it says this, Since therefore we have confidence to enter the holy places by, what? By the, by the, by the blood of Jesus. There it is again. Who makes us sons? Jesus makes us sons. And our confidence, friends, needs to be 100% on the blood of Jesus and the work of Christ. If you're like 50% on Christ, yeah, yeah, he's made me a son. You know, I'll get that. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, yeah. And then 50% your flesh, you missed it. That's totally wrong. Or even like 75% Jesus and 25% you. It's wrong. Our confidence is only in the blood of Jesus to draw near to the Father's house. He's the one that's paid for our sin. Even if it's like 1% of your flesh, still wrong. Our confidence must be 100% in the blood of Jesus to draw near to the Father. And if you follow that through for a little bit, what that actually means is, you could be in that second scenario where, you, to be honest with you, you've really, in your eyes, you failed a week. And you can come to the Father's house, you can decide in your heart, I'm going to draw near to God and think I can be confident, even in this place. You might think, you can't be like that, that's just cheeky, that's taking a mick. No, that's called adoption in Christ. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. In that place, you can say, Father, <laughs> I know I have screwed up this week. Thank you so much. That me coming towards you right now isn't based on my works or what I've done. But I can come because of Christ. And I come before you weak as a failure in so many things. But thank you. You see me as a son. And you love me like you love Jesus. So I'm going to come. And what does confidence mean? Confidence is like a shameless abandon. I am here to draw near to God. And nothing's going to stop me. Not even myself or my own flesh. 
The work of Christ has opened up a door, opened a gateway for us to come through. That's what confidence means. So it's not just like, hey, you godly ones, you can be confident. No, it's like you failures, you sinners, you weak people, you can have confidence to draw near to the Father. No, he's not going to be angry with you. He's not absent or turning his back. He's there to to meet with you and to love you and for you to be with him. Interestingly, I'll just finish with this. Um, Two things, Whitley. It says in this Hebrews uh, verse, it says, let us draw near. So, uh, I'd like you all to stand up quickly, if that's okay, and pick a partner. So get in twos. If it's someone you don't know, it's, it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> okay, I want you to face each other. Josh, can you come up here on stage? And if, if you can, stay there. Try, try and be about two meters away. One of you needs to be person A. One of you needs to be the father. Who's that going to be? Actually, it doesn't even matter. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at each other. Don't look at me. Just look at each other. I want you to take a step towards each other. Keep looking at each other. Now I want you to take another step towards each other. If you can, take one more step towards each other. And just stay there for a sec. Okay, sit down. What were you doing just then? You were drawing near. Because of Jesus and his blood, the kind of confidence we have is to actually do that to God. We did that physically. As we worship him, because of what Jesus has done, we get to draw near to God as a person. And sometimes we think he's out there somewhere. And there is a bit of a paradox here because in Christ, there's a sense like we're, we're in him. We're already really close. And he's in us by the Spirit, so we're already really close. That's true. We are joined. There is a union. You are connected already. But still, Hebrews um, 10, there is a drawing near that's possible. And the word worship in John 4, when Jesus says true Worshippers will worship the Father. That word for worship in the Greek is the word proskunio. And the word proskunio literally means to draw close and to kiss. Not like a kiss, like a romantic sort of sexual kiss. More just an intimacy and a closeness. The true worshippers will proskunio the Father, will come close to him. When you're aware of your shame and your sin, you don't want to be close to anyone. When you think it's about you, you sometimes you want to hide. Jesus has dealt with that. So foundation 101 for this seminar stream and for us coming to God and growing as worshippers is understanding that we don't come to one who's miles away up there. 
we come to one who's our father. The reason we get to be before him is because of the work of Jesus. There is nothing, nothing you can do that will stop you from coming to the father and stop you being confident. Your confidence must be 100% in the blood of Jesus. I regularly, just being dead honest, I regularly feel I can't come to God in worship. Because of course I do. The enemy is active. He'll try and make you feel like condemned and feel like God's angry with you. What happens if you stay in that place? You're worshipping in lies. That's just not true. Don't let the enemy in. You can stand up confidently and think, oh, you want to remind me of the past, of what I've done? Let me remind you of the cross where Jesus has paid for me to come into the Father's house and to sit underneath his affection. And lastly on this, that Jesus has um, shared with us everything he has with the Father. His perfect intimacy and relationship he shares with you. What I want to do is give some time to just draw near to the Father in worship now. Jesus does say that the Father is seeking such worshippers. He's not just seeking, you know, numbers. He's not seeking bums on seats. He's not just seeking gifted people. He's not seeking musicians. He's seeking worship. He's not even just seeking worship. He's seeking worshippers, people, sons, daughters with lives and stories and testimonies and journeys. He's seeking you. Will you draw near to the Father now? Should we stand together? Um, I've asked George to lead us in this song, um, Who You Say I Am, which is a song encapsulating some of the stuff I've talked into uh, about identity and uh, yeah, having room in the Father's house. There's space for us all. Um, can I just encourage us even right now, let's just begin to close our eyes and draw near to him. Have you got the guitar? Thank you, Father, you're here right now. Just look to him. Don't look to me or to George. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring the presence of God the Father to us? Come and make the living work of Jesus a reality for us right now. Lord, even as we sing through this song, would your spirit move? Come and minister to our hearts. Help us to see you as you are. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing together. Sing, who am I? Who am I?